You be seated. Uh, I just want to review quickly for some of you that, that may not be tracking with where we're going. We, we've been doing a series that uh, I, I stole the title from someone else, uh, but but the material is is influenced by that, but original. But it's called uh, we're calling it Secrets to the Lost Lost Mode of Prayer. And so when we're talking about modes, we're talking about methods or types of prayer. And we identified five types of prayer. The first four are pretty well known. And I just want to review them very quickly. The first one is what we might call informal prayer, which is just the Lord help me prayer. It's just, it's very spontaneous. There's not a lot of forethought in it. You're just, um, you're just talking to God. A lot of people do that only when they're in trouble. <laughs> Some people do it spontaneously with Thanksgiving. I love, I love the way uh, Elijah prays when he blesses the food. You know, my boys have very unique personalities. Uh, Josiah loves animals, but he loves anything with scales and feathers. Um, he loves reptiles. I keep trying to interest him in furry things, um, but so far it's lizards and snakes and turtles and frogs and all kinds of stuff. When we took him to, to Disney World, we were in Orlando, and they found these little frogs they were all around the resort where we stayed. And man, they loved playing with those frogs. And so we thought, well, this is cool. You know, it's keeping them occupied. We would take them to Disney, pay, you know, all this ton of money to go into Disney. And Josiah had no interest whatsoever. I mean, literally, kid loves uh, Buzz Lightyear. And we're dragging him onto the Buzz Lightyear ride <laughs> because he wants to taste lizards and frogs. And, you know, and, and it finally dawned on me. It's like he's more interested in God's creation than Disney's creation. But why did we have to pay several hundred dollars for several days at Disney to drag him kicking and screaming onto the rides. I don't know why we do that. I guess who knows. Um, now, Elijah was all about the rides. I mean, he's all about the roller coasters. I mean, Space Mountain, uh, the, the big water one. I can't remember what it's called. Um, Splash Mountain. And then Josiah figured out, I'm, I'm totally, this has nothing to do with prayer. But Josiah figured out that you're supposed to scream on the roller coasters. So that he just thought that's part of the deal. He's not scared at all. Kid's not scared of anything, which can be a little scary when you're a parent. Um, but he would get on the ride and scream the biggest scream. I mean, he could out scream anybody on those rides because he just thought that's how it's done. Right. So we take him to the little city park thing because we did something last summer with with, you know, the, as a church. And so we take him to the city park ride and they got that little roller coaster thing. And so I get on him with the roller coaster first time. And that kid is screaming at the top of his lungs because that's just what you do on a roller coaster. It's a very different personality. So he's playing with these frogs, these little frogs, and, and, and I'm packing up. Seriously, we've been there like eight days or seven days, whatever it was. And I'm packing up the last day, literally put the suitcase in the car that we had rented. And this worker from the, the resort is like freaking out because Josiah is playing with this frog. And he doesn't speak a word of English. And I don't speak any Spanish. Now, Julie used to be fluent until she married a gringo and then whatever. But anyway, so he's like freaking out, talking to me in Spanish. And I'm like, no idea what you're trying to say. And, and he just he kept saying, ojo, ojo, you know, and and he's like telling me I could tell by the gestures. This is no good that they're playing with these with these frogs. So I go upstairs and I ask Julie what a few of these words mean. And so come to find out, we do some research, and these are these the, the, these are called. It's not the the official name, but the, their colloquial name is uh, like uh, Florida's killer frogs or something. <laughs> They're like this poisonous frog that secretes a poison from behind their eyes. And so I think Ojo is that eye. And so he's telling me, you know, like don't let your kids play with that. But they've been playing with it for seven days. So anyway. 
everything in Florida is a killer, man. Like the snails are killers. And the anyway. <clears throat> Thank you. We're talking about prayer. So Josiah, <laughs> Josiah begins every prayer. Thank you for the lizards. Now, this kid, when he was three years old, he could catch lizards. Like, he can catch any lizard. It's crazy. At three. And, and so I thought it would go away. But he's five and almost five and a half. And every prayer, thank you for the lizards. <laughs> but Eli's got it down, man. He goes to thank, it's time for, for prayer or whatever. He says, Lord, thank you for everything in this world. <laughs> thank you for everything in this world. Amen. I thought, got it covered. That's informal prayer. The second kind of prayer that we have is uh, petitionary prayer. So petitionary prayer is where you have intent and thought behind your prayer before you do it. So if someone goes into the hospital or someone needs a job or something and you ask for prayer for a specific thing and there's forethought that goes into it and you ask the Lord for something, that would be petitionary prayer. The third kind is ritualistic prayer. Uh, the Lord's Prayer. When you say it, just, just say it. You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, etc. Uh, now I lay me down to sleep. God is great. God is good. All that would be considered ritualistic prayer. And then the fourth kind is sort of a meditative prayer. And this is just uh, practicing the presence of God. Some people call it contemplative prayer. Some people call it listening prayer. It's just sitting there being with the presence of God. And when, for most people, when you talk about prayer, any kind of praying that happens in churches, we've already done it today. A uh, perfect example of petitionary prayer when we did the dedication uh, this morning, that would be considered petitionary prayer. Most people can relate to those forms of prayer. We're talking about a fifth mode of prayer that we're calling the lost mode of prayer. And we, I've been calling it feeling-based prayer, but really some of the older Christian mystics, some of the ancient Christian mystics, they called it the prayer of the heart. And so I want to I talk to you this morning about praying from your heart versus praying from your head. And I want to talk about the importance of the heart. So let me give you a, a few scriptures, and I'll just read them to you. I'll give you the address if you want. You can follow along if you're fast enough, or you can go home, write them down, look them up later, whatever. Uh, but one of the uh, primary ones when we're talking about this, it comes from Proverbs 4:23. Above all, guard your heart, for out of it spring the issues of life. Or the NIV version, one of the NIV versions says, out of the heart is a wellspring of life. Uh, so here's what I want you to get. There is life that is supposed to be springing forth. From your heart. That's what the Bible says. And you need to guard your heart because life is coming from it. Right? Matthew 12, Jesus says, we looked at this last week in Matthew 12, like around verse 36. Jesus says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And the evil person out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil things. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. But the point is... From the heart, you have the potential to bring forth good. And from the heart, you have the potential to bring forth evil as a human being. Right? So you have incredible potential. Human beings, and we know this, right? Human beings have incredible potential for good. And they have incredible potential for evil. But they're bringing forth out of their heart. John seven thirty-seven through 39, Jesus said uh, that out of your heart... There would flow rivers 
of living water, right? So you get this idea of life and good things and rivers flowing out of your heart. Paul said in Colossians 1.27, he said, I've been given this mystery to preach among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not just Christ in heaven, not just Christ the Creator, but Christ in you, the hope of glory. Speaking to your potential and my potential as people. But I want to read one to you that some of you may have never heard before, that you may be less familiar with, even if you've been coming here for some time. And that's found in the book of Second Peter. And I thought I had it here. Yeah, Second Peter. Verse 19, I want you to listen to this. He says, We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. In other words, the gospel that we're preaching to you is completely reliable. It's not something that we made up. And he says, and you will do well to pay attention to it, or the gospel that they're preaching, you, you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until something happens. You do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. See, the, the scriptures, the gospel message, the preaching of the gospel was never meant to be an end in and of itself. Really, what it, it's designed to point you to Jesus. It's designed to point you to, you know, all the things that we believe and whatever. But ultimately, it is designed to, trans, to, to, to cause something to happen, to, to point to something, to bear witness to something, to reveal something that is, is in your heart. Right? And it talks about the day star arising. So it's speaking to a potential that you and I have as human beings. So in other words, the gospel is supposed to do something in our heart that awakens a potential inside of us so that something can pour forth from us out of our hearts. <laughs> That's the end to which... It's going. Now, the Bible is a very ancient document. How many of you realize this? Very ancient document. I was getting my hair cut this week, and the person who was cutting my hair uh, didn't grow up with any kind of church exposure at all. And we were talking about some various different things, and we got on the topic of religion. And she tells me, she says, I didn't learn anything about religion. She said, I had a boyfriend who was trying to teach me about religion, but to, to me, they all talk like Shakespeare. <laughs> And when I hear it, like if I listen to Shakespeare or if I listen to them, I can't understand it. And it makes sense because nobody talks that way anymore, right? No disrespect to all you King James only people, but you're using a language nobody uses anymore. And contrary to some people's opinion, the Apostle Paul did not use it either. <laughs> Nor Jesus. It was translated. Anyway, I could go on that all day, right? And so... My, I sure I had a point to that. <laughs> huh? She didn't know anything about it, yeah, but I was talking about language. Anyways, never mind. It's not important. Um, wow. I hate it when that happens to me. That's just, how many of you that happens to you? In conversations. It's terrible when it happens to you when you're public speaking. It's just absolutely the worst. <laughs> So back to the point, though. The, 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 think about it. Oh, I remember. I remember. I remember. 
So the Bible is an ancient document, right? And so it talks about things in a way that ancient people would understand it. And sometimes when you try to translate that into a modern vernacular, people get freaked out because you use words that are not commonly used in evangelicalism. That maybe are used by other traditions that are out there. And because you use that same word, people have a tendency to then think you're doing something mischievous. <laughs> right? But think about it. If, 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 if scripture, if the gospel is supposed to be a light in a dark place until light comes on in your heart, then really what we're talking about is enlightenment. That there has to come an enlightenment to us as Christians or we cannot function as such. And it's not just about intellectualism and it's not just about ethics and it's not just about moralism or morality. It's really about the light of creation buried inside you, hidden inside you, and learning through, through a process of the transformation of your consciousness. You become enlightened in such a way that now what's in your heart can pour forth in the earth to be life-giving, to be creative, and to be transformational. And that's the kind of prayer that we're talking about. A prayer from the heart. Not a prayer where you're asking God to do something, but a prayer that comes out of a transformed consciousness, that comes out of an enlightened heart, where the very creative energy of God flow and life of God flows forth out of you to move mountains, to work miracles, to, and to transform situations. Think about, think about it. Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it is a wellspring of life. If any man believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers. Right? The morning star arising in your heart. There's heat, there's energy, there's power. There's a life-giving substance. All those, all those images, a river gives life. The sun gives life. The river ministers to those that drink from it. The sun ministers warmth and so many things to all of creation. And really what the gospel's pointing to is all that's buried inside of you. And so heartfelt prayer is not a detached form of prayer where you're asking God to do something. Heartfelt prayer is where the God that's inside you begins to release what the church fathers called the uncreated energies of God through you as a vessel and a vehicle to really be co-creators with Him. Because from, from a Jewish perspective, from a ancient Jewish Hebraic perspective. And really from a biblical perspective, at the center of everything, that there, there is a center point. Let me, let me do it this way. It's hard to articulate some of these things. And I'm doing this to the best of my understanding, so it's, it's incomplete, all right? So I may just just think about this, but but there is a central point inside everything in creation 
there is a central point of stillness, of no thing. And from that point, this is what, from that point, the life-giving, creative light of God is pouring forth into all of creation to bring it into manifestation. Inside everything. So inside of you and me, there is a central point of stillness, of really no thing that takes you back to the point of pre-creation. Because from a Judaic perspective, creation was not created and then finished. Creation is continually pouring forth from the presence of God. Uh, the, the way some of the Christian mystics would talk about it, it, the creation is continually being created from the womb of God. And if you can think about that, there's a, there's a central point of nothingness, and inside of you is that central point of nothingness, and it's from that, and that place is in your heart, and it's from that place that the creative light and life and energy of God is pouring forth into you. And part of what we are supposed to be able to do in prayer is learn how to work with those energies in order to bring about transformation. This physical world would be called the world of action or manifestation. And we've been taught faith in certain circles but only how to operate it, and, and, and the lowest realm, if you will, is the realm of action and manifestation. Are you breathing? So this physical realm is the lowest realm that there is. There are other spiritual dimensions that are higher than that. So if you could step outside of all those dimensions to where God is, where he is totally other than his creation, and creation is both invisible and visible, then when God does something, it pours forth from that place where it's the uncreated. And it pours into really the realms of thought and feeling to ultimately the place of action and manifestation. But in order to get it, you've got to go... Back to the beginning. Are you breathing? It's a little bit deeper, I know. So we're taught faith. We're taught, well, you speak the word and you act like it's already happened. So that what happens is, is you're trying to get the promise of God, but you're working at it from the lowest realm, not the highest realm. So you say it and 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 act on it and act on it and act on it and you're not changing things because if you go back to the metaphor I used several weeks ago, you're playing the game, you're not hacking the game. Make sense? So here's what I'm saying. When you are praying the prayer of the heart, when you are praying to change things, when the light and the life and the power of God is flowing forth from your heart, you will feel it. There will be thought and feeling and imagination all involved in it in order to be the conduit 
through the worlds by which God can manifest his will in the earth. You breathing? So now I lay me down to sleep is great, but it's not the best thing for you when you need a miracle, when you need something to change, when you need to create a new outcome. See, as the people of God, we should be creating new outcomes. And that's what Jesus is saying. You have the potential to create evil outcomes, and you have the potential to create good outcomes. That's got to come from your heart. And so the first thing that we have to learn how to do is we have to learn how to open our heart and we have to learn how to get comfortable with all the energies that we find there. And some of that energy is emotional and feeling-based. And I think part of our training as sons and daughters of God is to learn how to work with those things but it begins it begins by being able to locate your heart and then it begins by opening up your heart now here's the thing creation flows on the vibration of love and compassion so anything that you're doing that's not flowing on the vibration of love and compassion is not going to bring forth the manifestation of life, and creation is not going to respond to it in a positive way. Now, here's why this is important, because the words that I say in prayer are important. The actions that I take are important. But I have to ask myself, what's the emotional power that's behind what I'm doing? See, if Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, we read this at weddings, (laughs) I can have, you know, all knowledge, but if I have not love, it profits me nothing. I can have faith to move mountains, but if I have not love, it profits me nothing. I can give all I have to the poor, but... If I have not love, it profits me nothing. And if we look at this from a Western ethical, juridical model, then what we say is you can be doing all this great stuff, but if it's not coming from love, then God's going to get you. (laughs) We, We have a tendency to advance ourselves to judgment day and look at our lives and think I did all these great ethical things. But we think about it from the, the place of judgment day and we think, yes, but if it wasn't, and, I, and I've heard people preach this, I probably preached it myself. If it's not motivated by love, then, then it's not going to profit you. But that's, we, we miss the point because we make it ethical and we make it juridical and Paul's not thinking in that manner. Paul is talking about the manifestations of power in 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. He's talking about spirituals, pneumatikos in the Greek. He, he's talking about how to function as a spiritual person to bring forth manifestations of power and, and manifestation of the spirit and supernatural things into the earth. That's what he's doing in 12 and 14. And we've made it an ethical thing. And we said, well, you can have gifts and all that, but you don't have love. And and we get it all messed up. No, I think he's talking about how to minister to creation and the very vibration of creation, the very flow of the life-giving force of the light of God that's at the center of everything that flows out as a 
divine energy into everything in all of creation, including you and including me, is vibrating on the frequency of divine love. And so if we're going to be able to work in the realm of the working of miracles, and we're going to be able to work in the realm of moving mountains, and we're able to fully manifest as mature sons and daughters of God, then we can do everything in the realm of action. But if we are not moving at the vibration of love and compassion, which is the vibration of creation, then it profits us nothing no matter what we do. So you cannot transform, you cannot minister life, you cannot minister healing, you cannot minister grace, you cannot minister freedom, you cannot minister joy to someone or something you don't love. You cannot effectively influence and transform something if your heart is not in it. So if you and I live disconnected from our hearts, we live this intellectual lifestyle. Settling for less in our life while our heart is crying out for more. Because particularly in Western Christianity, we're taught to deny our passions. We're taught to deny our desires. We're taught to deny because those energies are scary. <laughs> it's really true. I can't remember who said it. It gets wrongly attributed to Nelson Mandela. Uh, but it's a lady who, who said it. It's not our darkness that we most fear as humanity. It's our light. It's our capacity for greatness that scares us more than our capacity for darkness. Because in order to step into greatness, you have to, you have to get, you have to begin to learn how to work with the primal forces of desire that are pouring forth from the heart of God into you and into me. And unless we love something. So here's the thing. If, if I'm preaching to you because I'm angry, I cannot help you and give you life. If I'm ministering because I'm against something, I cannot help you and give you life. If fear is the opposite of love, if I'm trying to control you in a relationship because I'm afraid of what might happen, I cannot bring fruitfulness into that relationship because I'm not functioning on the vibration of love. So how much fear governs what we do? That was my whole issue with this last election. Everybody's in a frenzy of fear. And you could see it. You could still see it. Because nobody's having conversations, political conversations, in a loving way. <laughs> or very few people are. So the energy that's being released from those other places is not going to bring blessing to our country. If it's coming from fear. If we're in a relationship and I'm afraid you're going to hurt me, I'm afraid you're going to abandon me. I'm afraid you're going to stop meeting my need. Then I may start trying to control you from a different vibration and not from the vibration of love. And I'm releasing death and bad fruit. 
and the bad fruit's over here, and we're trying to fix it. We're not communicating. We're not compatible, whatever. But the issue is, what's the vibration? So the same thing happens in prayer. If I'm praying for money because I'm afraid I can't pay the bills, if I'm praying for you because I'm afraid you won't live right, You see what I'm doing? So it's really, 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 really important that we're able to check what's going on in here and really come to a place of maturity where we can regulate for ourselves. That's what it means to keep your heart with all diligence. This isn't just surrendering it to the control of the Spirit of God. This is being taught by the Spirit of God. One of the early church fathers, second century, I, I love to see your faces sometimes. One of the second century church fathers, one of the second century church fathers said this. I'm putting it in modern vernacular, but this is what he said. He said, the Holy Spirit was sent to mentor you on how to be God. That's what he said. He was sainted. I mean, surely if you're quoting a saint, right, it's okay. So the Holy Spirit was not not for you to surrender everything to to the control of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was sent to teach you. The Holy Spirit was sent to mentor you, which means at some point in maturity, you begin to learn about all this stuff that's inside you, and you begin to learn how to regulate it so that you're manifesting life and not death. Good and not evil. So you have to feel. You have to know what's going on in your heart. And you have to be able to regulate that stuff. See, don't get the idea, don't get the idea that this just means you have to have perfect feelings all the time. Because then we're just back to this sort of plastic, oh, I'm just blessed, oh, I just have the victory, oh, I just take it. You've got to learn how to be honest when you're in disappointment. You've got to learn how to be honest when you're in bitterness. You've got to learn how to be honest when you're angry. You've got to be, learn how to be honest when you're afraid. Because your heart always tells the truth. Your heart always tells the truth. I've, I can't tell you how many people have gotten mad at me because they get a diagnosis and they call me And they're saying all the right things. I want you to agree with me. I don't think I should go, you know, (laughs) I don't know if I should get treatment, whatever. I want you to agree with me in prayer on this situation. And I know immediately, because I can sense the vibration, there's no faith. It's coming from a place of fear. I've got to do all the right things that the church taught me so I can get healed because I'm afraid I'm going to die. And so the fear vibration is operating. And I've just flat told people, I, I, I just last month, no, a couple months ago, 
You know, I had to tell somebody, yeah, you, you need to go to the doctor, like, immediately. Well, no, 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 I want you to agree with me in prayer. Well, yeah, but you have no faith. I mean, you don't tell that, because, you know, you just don't say that. We're not allowed to say that, because that's not loving. And that's being judgmental, and how, who are you? How, you don't know my how, Who are you to judge me? Well, I'm not judging you. I'm, I'm sensing the vibration coming off of you. And if I play this religious game with you, I might be a culprit in killing you. Or culpable in it. So it's better to be honest and say, yeah, I'm scared to death. And don't think I haven't had health challenges. I mean, there, there were things that I thought, and don't, don't, don't go on the Internet too much. Because <laughs> they will have you pushing up daisies. Especially if you're one of these people that avoid the doctor because you're one of these hyper-faith people. You know, right? You know what I mean? Oh, I don't do doctors. I believe God. I don't take medicine. I believe God. But secretly you're scared, so you're looking on the Internet. And they have a symptom checker. Isn't that great? Steve, Steve's a doctor. Isn't that great? Your, your whole profession is obsolete now because we, we have a symptom checker on the Internet. And you've got to remember, whoever's running the website, if they're legit, doesn't want to get sued. So it's never going to come back, oh, it's nothing. I mean, I've got dry mouth. Well, dry mouth could be a symptom that you're salivary glands are drying up and your salivary glands might be drying up because somewhere you have a tumor growing inside you. <laughs> so you better get to the doctor and get checked right away. <laughs> okay. Maybe you guys don't do this stuff. But I remember having to deal with fear. Now, I know all this stuff. I teach this. Oh, I'm going to confess the word, get in the word, believe the word, all that stuff. But I just remember being afraid. And I realized I was avoiding the doctor out of fear, not faith. That it actually took more faith for me to go to the doctor and deal with the diagnosis than it would take for me to... Is this all right? Yeah. And, but here's the thing. I knew if I go... And I get a diagnosis. If anybody even suggests to me that this is whatever the Internet said that I have, the, the, the botch of Egypt that's in the Bible or whatever. <laughs> it's going to heighten. I'm going to pick up on that vibration. I'm so susceptible to that vibration, it's going to do me more harm than good. So I had to be able to manage what was going on inside of me till I got to the point that I was ready to tell somebody what I was dealing with so that I could be prepared for their response and their reaction. I remember I had a swollen... I'll give you just a brief example. Is this okay? Am I going too long? I had a swollen lymph node under my arm. And your, your buddy, the chiropractor... I was going to him at the time. And uh, I didn't have a doctor at the time. I'm not even sure we had health insurance at the time. This was before ACA and fines and all that. 
See, I triggered that fear, didn't I? <laughs> Sorry. Or ang- somebody's anger, somebody somewhere got triggered. I felt it. And so I'm going to this chiropractor and I said, hey, look at this. And, and his reaction, his face, his reaction, that immediate reaction that you can't cover up. Like the, the immediate one before you put the face on? <laughs> that one? <laughs> I locked onto that one and I could tell, this thing, you better go get that checked out. So I'm like, I'm on the internet. Um, I, have lymph- I have lymphoma. I have however many months to live. Do I want chemotherapy or don't I want other alternative treatments? Because I have a swollen lymph node on my arm. And, but see, here's what happened. I wasn't thinking any of that. But whatever he was thinking got transferred to me. So now I'm, this is one of the, being those hypersensitive type individuals. So now I'm dealing with his fear as well as whatever's going on with me. And when you're, whatever emotional state you're in, whatever information you read that confirms that state, look out. You, you tracking with me? So finally, I break down and go to the, talk to a nurse practitioner. And I don't even remember what it was, but it was nothing. It went away on its own. It was nothing. So I went through all that fear, I mean, for a week or two. For nothing. But I also realized, so the next time I'm dealing with something, I also realized I've got to be in a place where if I have a professional tell me it's something bad, I won't be susceptible to the fear that comes out of the diagnosis. Because there is no fear in love. And faith works by love. And so if I'm going to be able to get life and health and healing with whatever I'm facing, I have to be operating at a place of no fear. And I got to that place, and I went to my doctor, and it was nothing. Now I'm learning, if I just go to my doctor sooner, I don't have to go through all that. <laughs> There's great peace of mind sometimes going to the doctor. But my dad convinced me the doctor would kill you. Because his dad never went to the doctor, and then when he went to the doctor, he died. His uncle, who was like a father to him, never went to the doctor. When he went to the doctor, he died. My dad never went to the doctor. When he went to the doctor, he had a protracted illness that killed him. So things get ingrained subconsciously. You quit going to the doctor with death instead of life. That's the kind of stuff you have to begin to learn to understand and to manage inside your life if we're going to be able to effectively change stuff because we're operating in the prayer of the heart. And it's messy business. (laughs) Amen? So just to give you something practical, pay attention. Don't worry so much about what are the words that I say when I pray to God. What's the right words that I say to get a, a miracle in this situation? Pay attention to the feeling. Because the feeling is operating in these other realms 
that are beyond the realm of action and manifestation. And if you can't master this, you'll never be able to master this. Or we could say it this way. If you don't know how to move the mountain on the inside, you'll never be able to move a mountain that's on the outside. So the working of miracles is always involving, on some level, emotional regulation and the working with your thoughts and your feelings before you even think about what's supposed to come out of your mouth. Does that help? So just pay attention and be honest. Practice being honest with your heart and with yourself. I'm afraid. I'm angry. I'm upset. I'm disappointed. I'm happy. I'm excited. I'm in love. Does that help? Maybe. <laughs> Let's stand up. Put your hand over your heart if you would. If you're willing, able. Just take a deep breath. Just close your eyes. Deep inside you, there is a point of stillness. There's a point of no thing. deeper than thought, deeper than feeling. Deeper than imagination or image. And in that place, the light and life of creation is pouring into you and it's pouring into me. You're connected to everything you will ever need to manifest whatever future you're on this earth to manifest. It's already there. You're already connected to it. It already has an existence inside your being. Just take another deep breath. I'm going to pray for you. Father, I thank you for your people. Bless them. Take what's been shared today, Lord, and help us to apply it to our lives in ways that help us become fully aware, fully awake, fully enlightened, fully capable, fully powerful. And I bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.